Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ at 102.1 FM, your local community radio station. My name's Andy and I'll be hanging out with you for the next hour, broadcasting on Jagra and Tourable Country as we do each week. And today on the show, we are going to be talking about Palestine. It's uh, not a new political issue, but it is one that I think it's worth uh, touching back in on every now and then because for Palestinian people, they live it every day. And if you follow the news there, there's constantly reports of um, violent attacks by settlers on Palestinian people, on the expanding of Israeli territory and all kinds of disagreements. And for people who are in the Gaza Strip or in the West Bank, uh, their daily life is one of definite oppression. And for the rest of us, we maybe think, oh, yeah, that's more news about Palestine, but they are living it. So I think it's good to, every now and then, refresh ourselves, um, hear what's going on and what we can do to support the people there just trying to live in their land. So today on the show, we'll have a chat with Lee Rhiannon, who has just been over in Palestine. We'll be speaking to Samir Elagta, who I interviewed this morning, who will be this Sunday leading the Palestinian Dakba dance troupe in a celebratory dance at the conclusion of the big riot for Palestine. That's been going on over the last month uh, to raise awareness and raise money for human rights initiatives on the ground in Palestine. They've been out around town riding their treadleys. You might have seen some maybe in green Palestine jerseys and they've been raising money for, I think there's a few different organisations. One of them is a Palestinian women's health organisation which was started by a woman called Olfat Mahmoud. Now, there's celebrations this week at the end of Big Ride for Palestine but there will be a bit of sadness as well because Olfat Mahmoud has just died um, just recently, that she's been a long-term partner of Union Aid Abroad, which is the fundraising group that organises Big Ride for Palestine. So I did interview Olfat back in 2018, and I thought oh, it'd be good to dig out that interview again as a tribute to a woman who are born in a refugee camp and lived basically her entire life in refugee camps, but um, committed her life to serving the people around her and um, working to better the conditions of 
Palestinian people, not just herself. And on the phone right now, I have Lee Rhiannon. Hello, Lee. Hi, how are you, Andy? Uh, very good, thanks. It's great to have you on air. Um, you've been for a long time an advocate for the people of Palestine. Do you want to start off by, I guess, saying how you got involved in that struggle and what it's looked like, your solidarity from Australia? Uh, look, I'm 72, and in the and my mother worked for an, an international women's organisation. And what I can remember so clearly, it was really probably the first time I heard about what was happening in Palestine, and it just burned into my brain, is that my mum came back from um, being in Palestine, and she told me these stories that had obviously shocked her. And they certainly shocked me of meeting elderly men and women who showed her the keys to their house but they couldn't live in their house anymore. They had been thrown out, often under terrible circumstances, lost their home, their land. And as a young teenager, by I'm in the, probably in the mid-60s, middle-aged teenager, I, and I come from a poor working-class family, but my life was wonderful here. And I knew about bad things happening in the world, famines, etc. But the thought that you could have your home taken off you and hundreds, thousands of people losing their home under such circumstances has never left me. And then one of the times I've been to Palestine three times, I went to the Bethlehem refugee camp and across the entrance, which is very large, very big archway, and there's a giant key, this big, like one of the rusty keys that the um, Palestinians who were evicted and slaughtered under such shocking circumstances, it's a replica of that. And they told me how they're often invited to festivals in Europe in support of Palestine, and they take this giant key with them. So it's become very symbolic of the shocking crimes of the Zionists in taking over Palestinian land. Mm. And you've been involved in Palestinian solidarity in Australia now, I guess since then, since you were a young woman hearing that story. Um, amongst other things that you've done, you were a New South Wales senator for a long time as well with the Green Party. You've had lots that's kept you busy. But I guess, um, what are some of the things that you have been a part of from Australian solidarity with Palestine? And what do you think is the importance of that? Oh, look, it's so important. While I was just in Palestine, I was part of the Dare to Struggle film unit and we were making, um, well, we thought we were making one film. We've decided to make a number of films that will be freely available to the Palestine support movement here and around the world to help raise the awareness of the shocking crimes that are being committed against Palestinians. Um, and look, what what I've learned, um, I've been involved in a lot of international solidarity and it came home, it was reinforced so strongly on this trip from the academics that we interviewed, unionists, trade union, uh, trade unionist academics, um, um, members of non-government organisations and people I would sit on the bus with. Once they knew why we were there, they'd say, please take our story to the world. International solidarity is so important. Uh, Palestinians barely have a voice uh, and they want, um, they want that support. They want their voice heard, but they know they need support. So I think where we can, getting that support... Uh, particularly the actions on the street are so important, but moving the motions in Parliament, doing the speeches, it's all part of that, raising awareness um, and highlighting that Palestinians have a right to determine their own future um, and they should have the right of return. So you just said that you have 
um, just got back from Palestine. So I guess um, what all of us would love to know is what are the latest updates and are there things that are, are have recently been changing, hopefully for the better, or have they been changing for the worse? Well, to take the last part of your question first, changing for the worse, what's just so alarming? This was my third visit to Palestine, and every time you visit, there are more and more settlements. There's 700 to 800,000 illegal settlements um, on Palestinian land, and they really are effectively like troops, because what do troops do when they invade a country? You take over the land, and that is what these settlers are doing. Um, they often are then pulling up the um, uh, olive trees in the orchards of the Palestinians, um, demolishing their houses. Like you know, we, we interviewed people where that how one man his house has been demolished twice. I've heard of other people demolished many times, and there's volunteers that then help them rebuild the house as a, a statement of the rights of the Palestinians. So. You know, like the, the crimes are extensive, and that's what's so worrying. The positive side is that the resilience of the Palestinians, I do find extraordinary. Very welcoming people, incredibly gracious and helpful, um, very committed to their struggle, and their life goes on. So at the moment, you know, if you, if you Google it, you'll be finding large numbers of people, the Palestinians, are being killed by Israel. Um, many children, many young Palestinian children are being killed. They particularly target the young Palestinian men, often inv invading the homes in the early hours of the morning when people are in a deep sleep and hauling them out. Um, and so that, those people then in, end up in military, a military, under a military court system, and then usually are jailed. So they, those sort of crimes continue at a, at a frightening rate, causing, you know, terrible damage to people. But the resistance movement is growing. The Palestinians are working to unite the different tendencies that there are. And I think our main job in Australia is to you know, raise awareness about the issue. And again, if any of your listeners are interested um, where our films will be out early in the new year, and the purpose is to have events, show them, raise awareness and work to get more people involved in international solidarity here for the Palestinian people. One of the things that has been in the news this year has been mass protests in Israel by Israeli people against um, the Netanyahu government's uh, changes to the judicial system, basically to remove independence of um, juries and police. And it was very encouraging, really, to see humongous protests there and that did um, gain some wins. I wonder if that's had any effect on, you know, the settlements, on relationships between Israel and Palestine, and what do Palestinian people think of all this? Um, well, the, with regard to the settlements, I don't think it's having any impact. They're just still literally moving across the landscapes um, with these huge constructions going on. Um, in terms of most of the Palestinians we talked about, like there was very, you had to ask a question, like it is not an issue for the Palestinians. And why it isn't, and why they say that to, to explain that to you, is because what they're seeing in these battles is that it's really a battle between two sections of Israeli society to maintain the privileges that they have. Because the judicial system is fundamentally unfair 
to Palestinians. It's one of the most standout examples of the apartheid system that now operates in in Israel. Uh, and so that's why, um, and what I mean by that is that with um, a Palestinian is charged for like the young Palestinian boys who throw rocks at tanks. They're regularly charged. They go before a military court. If you're an Israeli, you're in a civil court. Uh, and so there was cynicism among the Palestinians that we spoke to about this. They can't see that there's going to be change that will come out of that that's going to bring justice for Palestinians at really is different sections of Israeli society yeah, battling for their privilege. Having said that, though, how I, my own personal take on it, I can see what the Palestinians say. Anything that might destabilise the Netanyahu government, I see as a good thing, but we don't want one bad problem being replaced by another. Now, there has been some sad news coming out of um, Palestine very recently with the death of Olfa Mahmoud, who I understand that you knew and had uh, had worked with and was very linked to Australian solidarity. What's the significance of Olfa and what she did in um, working with other Palestinian women in refugee camps? Olfa Mahmoud um, died, and I do um, send condolences to her family and to all her, her colleagues. Like it was incredibly sad. She um, was a trained nurse, a, a, a very experienced health practitioner, um, and then very innovative in how she worked within the Palestinian struggle um, in building up services for women and children, particularly in refugee camps. Her own story. There's a book about her. Um, um, that she wrote about her life and um, her village because she she was born in this huge refugee camp in um, Beirut in Lebanon and it's regarded as the like the hardest of the refugee camps because the conditions that people live under in those camps to this day remain appalling. Because remember, one of the tactics coming out of the US, coming out of Israel, is to abolish the, these refugee camps. So they can say, oh, there's no problem here. Don't have Palestinian refugees. Everything's fine for Israel. Like just a, a, a total, um, very ugly way to um, engage with this situation. So... So this, her life was just phenomenal. Um, she was born in this refugee camp. Um, her, um, some of she raised her children there. She was able to move out from time to time. She also spoke at the United Nations. She helped um, set up Union Aid Abroad, um, also known as AFIDA, one of the best of the aid organisations in Australia that works in a very fine way and particularly does work in um, the West Bank and with Gaza in helping those communities. And Olfat was at the front line of organising those projects. So um, the loss of her is very sad and it is very huge for the Palestinian movement, particularly for refugees and particularly for those refugees in the camps in Beirut. Okay, well, Lee, you're back in Australia. Um, I guess looking forward for Palestine and having spoken to people there, um, what are people's hopes for the future? What are people working towards right now? And what will you be working towards? Look, I think the, our main job in Australia is to raise awareness about about the issue and I feel that the situation is changing <clears throat> because I've been conscious of this issue for so long. For a long time nobody talked about Palestine 
Um, and they thought poor Israel, because Israel's been very good at playing the victim, poor Israel. But I see that there's a huge change in attitude. Most people realise this isn't a battle between two sides. It's an issue of a colonial, colonial settler regime that has taken over the Palestinian land. So I think raising the awareness is incredibly important and then getting people active. Like, it's fantastic um, about the big bike, bike ride for Palestine. That's a way to raise awareness. It's a raise to, to raise um, money um, for their projects. So that's very important. And then a big aspect of the Palestinian struggle, which they identified really was very critical for what they're trying to achieve, is what's now called the BDS movement, boycotts, divestments and sanctions. And we know how powerful that is from the big struggle to end apartheid in South Africa. Nelson Mandela, the leader of the African National Congress, came to Australia just eight months after he was um, um, got out of jail. And he paid huge tribute to the unions here and the Australian um, anti-apartheid movement for helping lift um, the global movement. And that was really through the awareness, very strong direct actions. Many people were arrested in those battles. Um, but particularly having the boycotts, the divestment and the sanctions, uh, because that's a way to, you know, bring a sort of economic, a um, financial punch into what you try to achieve. So the, the, there needs to be many aspects to this struggle, um, and it's just critical that we keep standing with Palestinians. What's, what, what's been done to them on an increasing levels of violence um, in recent years is, is just horrendous. And we always need to remember Gaza at this time because Israel has shut down Gaza, literally. I've only been able to get into Gaza once. Hardly anybody gets into Gaza these days. It is the world's biggest prison. And no journalists are there. We don't hear about it. But the Gazan people, the Palestinians there, are fighting as well. And we need to stand with them, the people on the West Bank, the people, the Palestinians in um, Israel. It's, a, it's very important. All right. Thanks very much for chatting with us today, Lee. Thank you very much, Andy, for your time. Good to talk to you. Bye-bye. You are on the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ. Lee Rhiannon, who has just returned from Palestine, as she was saying, so good to get an update from her. Uh, we're talking about Palestine today on the Paradigm Shift because we always should keep it in our minds, the struggles of people there, um, but also because... This Sunday is the closing event for the Big Ride for Palestine, which is one of the big events of Brisbane Palestine Solidarity that happens each year. There are other events. There's um, always commemorations of Al-Nakba, the original dispossession of Palestine, and I think there's actually monthly vigils on Friday mornings that the Palestine Solidarity Group does as well. But uh, the Big Ride is a, a chance for people to get together, and so this Sunday... There will be a celebration for the end um, of the big ride and you'll hear from a few speakers as well. And not only that, you will have a chance to see and take part in some Palestinian dakba dancing, a traditional dance of Palestinian people that's been kept alive around the world as a way of keeping hope going. And I spoke to Samir Elagta uh, this morning about... Uh, Dakba dancing and its cultural importance. Let's have a listen. My name is Samir, uh, Palestinian Australian. 
Uh, I've been living in Australia for the last 15 years and I call Australia home. Mm. And before 15 years ago when you came to Australia, you were living in Palestine. Can you tell us a bit about the story of um, how you ended up leaving there and coming to Australia? Now, uh, Andy, my story is a little bit different. Um, I lived, uh, when I born, I born as a refugee, a Palestinian refugee. So technically, I born uh, out of Palestine. My parents, after the war, after 1948, uh, my parents left our village, or actually fled our village uh, uh, to another city in Palestine. And then they had to leave there because of the war and because of the conditions there. And uh, technically, I born in Middle East, in Saudi Arabia, because my parents didn't have a Palestinian ID. Uh, we always had a Palestinian refugee passport, which has a lot of restrictions and uh, complications. So technically, I lived almost half of my life as a refugee. So you were just living in refugee camps with other Palestinian refugees? Uh, no, we used to live in a normal city in Saudi Arabia, uh, different than the refugee camps in Jordan or Lebanon or Syria, but it was kind of a normal living. But uh, as an ID or the way we've been treated over there, uh, we always been treated as uh, refugees, where we don't have an uh, we don't have a, a passport or we don't have um, an ID that can recognize us as Palestinians. So, growing up though, did your parents very strongly impress on you that you are Palestinian people and that you have a homeland? Oh, definitely. Uh, my dad insists every year during school's holiday to take us back to Palestine for almost, I remember, two months every year. We spend holiday school in Palestine, school holiday in Palestine. And his main goal was for us to know our country, to know our land, and to be attached to our land and our family there. So it was a no-negotiable no thing for him. We have to go to Palestine, you have to see your land, and you have to understand what's going on there. And this is, this is how we grew up. We grew up as refugees out of Palestine, but we were deeply attached to our homeland and uh, our family over in Palestine. Mm. And so one of the things that you've carried on doing as an adult is Palestinian uh, dakba dancing. Can you tell us how did you learn that dance and what was the importance of that in being a part of the Palestinian diaspora? Now, when, when I arrived in Australia uh, 15 years ago, I noticed the Australians, the normal Australian people or our community, they don't know much about Palestine. And if you, when you introduce yourself to new people and when you say Palestine, or I'm, for, I'm Palestinian or from Palestine, they question where is it or where is Palestine or they connect Palestine with Israel. And that was a really um, concern to me because 
we really need people to know who we are and where are we from and our identity and our history. Um, so after I lived here in a few years, like maybe two or three years, uh, I noticed the Australian community or Australian people, they love music and food. And this is where the idea came from. The easiest language to speak to people uh, out of politics is just talk about music and dance and food. Introduce yourself or introduce your heritage or your history to them through dance and music. It was the easiest way for, for people to listen and ask questions. And, uh, yeah, I think I did what we did, me and my friends, doing the, our Depki tour is uh, just introduce our music and culture and uh, history to the Australian community and to other communities. And we were really impressed the way everyone communicating with us. They asked, Oh, we never, we never, we never knew about this. We don't know that uh, Palestine has a history or different history or the conflict between Israel, Israel and Palestine. They always knew the conflict from one side, and they never heard the other side. And that was a really important message for us to start our conversation with uh, our community. And what about for you as Palestinian people, when you do the dance, is there some, something it does for you personally in connecting you with that land where, you know, you've never lived, but that you claim still as your homeland? Absolutely. Now, just to give you a brief, Andy, about the Debki, the Palestinian Debki. Debki means stomp, stomping on the, by your feet on the, on the ground or on the floor. Uh, the Debki the Debki is a very folk dance or traditional dance. It started long, long time ago in Palestine, and it came from when the farmers work in the field, and they use they didn't have much tools or equipment to harvest or to work on their farm. So technically, they used their feet to stomp the ground or mix. The, um, if you want to say mix the sand with water or mix the mud and uh, work on their field. But technically, they were using their feet all together, thumping the ground or the mud to, uh, to grow their uh, produce. And this is where it came from. And when we learned, when I personally learned uh, the dance uh, in Palestine, when I used to go there every summer or every holiday with my family, it's, uh, the Debki dance is more about joy and uh, uh, people gathering together. So there is no occasion, a happy occasion in Palestine. Uh, there is no happy occasion in Palestine without Debki dance, Palestinian Debki dance. It has to be there. It's kind of celebration and joy uh, for everyone to participate together. And this is what we explain to our to our audience here when we do any multicultural events and we get invited to perform Palestinian Debki. The first thing we the first thing we introduce the Palestinian Debki, and I can see on people's faces the way they are listening and uh, engaging with us. 
And once we start the performance and we uh, encourage everyone actually to join us to dance Palestinian Dabki or do a small move, people, they, people love it. They get really engaged and involved because they found a way to communicate with Palestinian or connect with Palestine. So do you think in terms of the Palestinian a longing for a homeland, or I guess to stop Israel taking away what's left of Palestine and the continuing settlements. You think that that kind of doing the dance and building that connection, connecting people here with Palestinian culture, do you think it does affect uh, Palestinian life and politics beyond just the dancing? Absolutely, Andy. Um, it's not a secret that because of the occupation, uh, the Palestinians, uh, they are losing their part of their uh, culture or part of their, uh, I don't know what would you call it, but we know because of occupation, uh, they, they didn't only occupy our land, they occupied our food, our music, our even clothes, uh, if you know what I mean. And for us, to tell the Australian community or to tell the Australian people um, this is not, uh, what do you know, this is a Palestinian music, this is Palestinian food, this is Palestinian traditional dress. Uh, our kofiya, and everyone knows the Palestinian kofiya, the black and white one, uh, we've been noticing, and everyone knows, it, uh, you can see it on social media and online, um, the Israelis trying to claim the, even the kufiya and change the color. They try to claim the music. They try to claim foods and everything. It's not only uh, occupying a land. They, are, they, want all, they want also to remove our identity from all aspects of, of life. And for us as Palestinians, uh, this is maybe the main message we are doing, trying to teach people or tell people there is another story and I could the there is another side of this story and Palestinian people or Palestinian culture does exist. Now, this Sunday, you're going to be dancing at the finale of the Big Ride for Palestine. People have been riding around Brisbane, uh, both trying to raise awareness for Palestine and also raise money for humanitarian projects there. Correct. What does it mean to you as a Palestinian refugee to see people doing that kind of solidarity? It's the, the least thing to say thank you to them. I, I couldn't try it, or I can't try it, unfortunately, and I w uh, otherwise I would love to be with them to raise money and do what they are doing. But for us to be there as Palestinian member and also as Palestinian community to be there, it's just to say thank you to them and also to celebrate their achievement at the end. They've been cycling or riding for the last three, four weeks or maybe more, and this is the smallest thing we can do to them, to say thank you and celebrate their achievements and uh, celebrate the fundraising they have done, they have completed, to help other humanitarian issues. Okay, thanks very much for chatting with us, Samir. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you, Andy.
Samir Lagda about the significance of Palestinian Dakba dancing. They will be doing it at the event uh, this Sunday, the finale of the big ride for Palestine. I'm getting texts in from Ian. He's telling me there's also Palestine Fair Trade Australia stall at West End Markets tomorrow. There's a Justice for Palestine Facebook group if you want to get involved. It's all happening. Um, I do want to play one last interview, though, for the show before we uh, finish for another week, and that is with Olfat Mahmood, who we spoke about her with, Lee Rhiannon. She did just pass away after a life of... um, of giving and organising and working hard for the her fellow Palestinians. And I did interview her back in 2018, and so I thought as a bit of a tribute, um, I would dig this one out from the archive. So let's have a listen. My name is Walfat Mahmoud. I am a Palestinian refugee from Lebanon. And yeah. you've just uh, written a book, a memoir, called Tears for Tashiha. Can you tell us a bit about yeah, the book? The book is a combination of history and autobiography. It reflects the life of refugees. And the book also focuses on how our grandparents and parents talk to us about their homeland, about the right of return. And it's based on the right of return. It also uh, talks about uh, my experience working in a refugee camp so as a nurse first, then in social work. It shows uh, the struggle of the Palestinian in their daily life as well. It's interesting that you say the the right of return and the importance of that for Palestinian people because many like you uh, were born in a refugee camp, born in Lebanon, but you still consider Palestine your homeland and a place that you, you want to go back to? Yeah, it's the, it's the land of my grandparents and parents. Even if I was born in Lebanon, I'm still Palestinian. I'm a Palestinian refugee. When you asked me to introduce yourself, I said I'm a Palestinian refugee. Lebanon is my second homeland, if you want, but I never felt it's my homeland. And so growing up in Lebanon, you got involved, as you said, as a a nurse and a, a social worker. What was the progression for that from somebody who grew up in a refugee camp? How did you become a nurse and then involved in a, an NGO? You know, our parents, they always told us, you know, as a refugee, you lose your dignity. Education is the only way to gain your dignity again. And they, most Palestinians focus on education and they want their children to be well educated. It's not easy. It's very difficult. But with some determination, I was able uh, to be well educated. When I finished high school, I wanted to study medicine. I couldn't because my father couldn't pay for my education. Uh, we, as Palestinians, we don't have universities. It's all private sector. So I went and joined the school of nursing, and I worked all through my all my experiences through war. Then I changed my career because I had enough from, you know, nursing wounded people and seeing the injustice. And so I stopped nursing and went back to university and studied sociology and psychology. And every few years I will, like when I finished my degree in sociology and psychology, I stopped for a few years to get, to save some money, went back to do my master's and saved some money and went and I did my PhD in psychology. So this is how it's like, it was not easy. I kept uh, 
stopping my like stopping my education to be able to save some money and go back to continue. Now you uh, started an organization called the Palestinian mm. Women's Humanitarian Organization. I'm interested yes. because Palestinians are displaced people and refugees and a number of other issues. But what do you think uh, is particularly different for a, a woman, a Palestinian woman, than it is from a man? Mm. Uh, first of all, uh, in general, women, they have uh, more responsibility towards their families. Like women bring up children, women, they are responsible for the family. So when, we, when myself and the group of other women, we decided to start this organization we felt like if we are uh, if we find a woman's body, then we will be able to tackle women's issue, and this is why we started this organization to be with women, and work with women within her family. So, if we have really a strong woman, then the gen- the next generation will be strong as well. So this is why we decided to work with women to meet their needs and be with them and help them to be stronger and to be able to cope with their very difficult situation. Do you think it's more difficult for women in Palestine than it is for men? No, both are suffering actually. Both are suffering. But women, it's another story because women, they are in charge of of their bringing up their children. And women, they they have issues which should be met, like should be uh, tackled. So this is why we decided to work with women. But that doesn't mean we don't work with men, because I told you, we work with women within her family. So many times we work with women and men at the same time. Uh, if there is a problem, we need to meet both of them, the, the husband and the wife. So... Men are suffering as well. It's enough that they are not really, they have, because as we are refugees in Lebanon, we have no right to work. So most men, they are not working. And that means more women are working than men because we are only able to work within Palestinian workforce. And most of the jobs we have, it's social work, nursing, it's like teaching. So there are more female uh, jobs. And uh, this is why men also lost their main role as breadwinner. So they face a huge problem. But we are specialized in women's issue. There are other NGOs who work with men. But at the same time, we work with both women and men. The issue of refugees around the world in the last few years has gained uh, a lot of attention with people talking about uh, a refugee crisis in Europe with the numbers and in Australia, a government that's very anti-refugees. Mm. As somebody who yourself is a refugee and who, who works with refugees, what do you think of this kind of conversation? Look, I'll tell you, no one chooses to be a refugee. It's not a nice experience. It's not really a fruitful experience. So people, when they leave their country and they go to another country because of terror, because of war, because of persecution, and at the other end, they are treated badly. It's not fair, really. People always ask for help because they need help. And for me, as Palestinian refugee, I, yeah, I feel with the refugees. 
And I, my case is worse even because I'm not just a refugee. I'm a refugee and stateless. I have no country to go back to it. I have actually, but I am forbidden from going there. Yeah, and I guess that leads me to the next question of for us we're a long way here from Israel and Palestine and the problems seem to grow and grow and the Australian government is quite pro-Israel and while many of much of the world is more supportive of Palestine the United Nations what do you think are the steps required for a just and peaceful solution there in Palestine it's like the international community should put pressure in, on Israel to stop the war, also to allow Palestinians to return back, because we as Palestinians, we have the resolution, UN Resolution 194, which stated that the Palestinian has their, Palestinians have the right to return. So we, don't, we want this UN Resolution to be implemented. And the international community should take responsibility. I'll tell you, when in 1947, when Palestine was divided into two states, the international community made this decision. So they should take the responsibility. And you said at the beginning, uh, like, Australia is very far from uh, Palestine and Israel and Lebanon. Yeah, it's not about, it's, we're not talking about distance. We are talking about decisions. And I need to remind you, in 1947, Australia had the casting vote to divide Palestine into two states. So they have responsibility as well towards the Palestinians. And for Australian people, what can we do to support Palestinians' uh, right to return and justice for Palestinian people? There are many organizations here who work for that. So at least to join them, also to write to their MPs and to uh, politicians asking them to raise the issue of Palestinian refugees and work to find a fair solution to the Palestinian. When I say fair solution, we have been suffering for 70 years. It's enough. So fair solution means we have the right of return. And we have tried the two states in 1947 and after the Oslo Accord 1993, and it didn't work. So what we want why? Why? We all believe in democracy. We all talk about the human rights. We all talk about justice. So the Palestinians should be given this right. And we should have one democratic state with equal rights and equal civil rights as well. We used to live together. Why not now? Mm. We used to live together, Muslims, Christians, and Jews. Why not now? We appreciate peace and we want to live in peace as Palestinians. But Peace alone is not enough. We need peace and justice. And we need to end the suffering of 70 years. Thank you, Olfat. Thank you. RIP Olfat Mahmoud. That is an interview from 2018 um, that I recorded with um, Olfat Mahmoud, who has just passed away in a refugee camp in Lebanon. She never did manage to return to the homeland that she had longed for um, so much and that she had worked all her life towards uh, getting her people back there. But uh, an inspiring woman and what an honour it was to speak to her as well as so many other people over the years on the paradigm shift um, that we've 
have given their time to uh, speak with us. That is just about all we have time for. See you next week.